0: was my goal to be in chapter 11 today of John. I had a dream the other night that Chris was making fun of me about being in chapter 10. And uh, heard that, yeah. Uh, wouldn't have been that class, would it? Uh, and in this conversation, I, I do want to draw your attention as to why we've taken the time to get through this. Uh, this conversation with Jesus in this uh, section started at 8 and went to 10. It's the longest conflictual conversation Jesus ever had. It's the longest conversation with the Pharisees of conflict uh, recorded in the Gospel of John. So there's a huge amount of material here as he talks with them. The other thing that's fascinating, if you'll notice here, at the end of chapter 10, there will be no more conflictual conversations with the religious leaders. This is it. Jesus makes some final statements. He makes some final assertions. And for the rest of the book of John, He's with His disciples. He's before the, relig- he's before the authorities. He's crucified and raised from that. So this is it. This, this, is, this is kind of the high-water mark now where Jesus is, if you will, bringing this conversation of conflict with the relig- re- religious leaders to an end. And so as I'm working through that, I wanted to try to kind of get you that contextual matter that this is it. This is the end, if you will, in John of conflict in terms of conversation uh, with the religious leaders. And I think Jesus really does bring some things to bear here at the end of it. I want to read here, if you will, uh, or if you'll follow along with me, uh, in John chapter 10. Uh, I'm not going to start at 19. We, we, we started there uh, two weeks ago. And I'm going to start at verse 27. I'm going to finish this out. John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. Now, I just want to draw your attention to something here. You might want to mark in your Bible on a sheet or something like that. There's a kind of what I call a triad here that we're going to look at in the next verse. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. That's the second one. And they follow me. It's just interesting here. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Th- I know them. And they follow me. These these uh, these three statements. And then he says, verse twenty, and I give. That's the one eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. It's interesting, there are two triads here. There are three statements made, if you will, in verse uh, 27. My sheep uh, or I, uh, my sheep, hear my voice, I know who they are, and they follow me. Which is followed, I think, we'll unpack this by another triad, if you are three, three features here, that I give them eternal life, Uh, they will never perish. And third, no one can snatch them out of my Father. I think something's going on here we're going to look at and try to unpack that. that. So he says in verse 29, or he says, and I give them eternal life, they'll never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again. It's happened in chapter 8, and it's happening again now at 10. This is, this is sort of where this whole conflict started when Jesus had healed the guy on the Sabbath. They want to kill him. They want to stone him. And this is kind of bringing this all now to a high culmination point where they, they pick up stones again and say, okay, this, this conversation, this conflict, this discussion, we're done. We're going to kill you. And they pick up stones again, and Jesus said to them, I showed you many good works from the Father. Which are you stoning me for? The Jews answered and said, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you are being a man, make yourself out to be God. And Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law? I said, You are gods. if, If He called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the Scriptures cannot be broken, do you say of Him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, You are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not do the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Therefore they were seeking again to seize him, they were going to stone him, and eluded their grasp. Now, so there, there's, there's the setting. This is it. This is the last, if you will, a conversation, the last conflict that he has. And it comes to a pretty good boiling point. Here you'll see he escapes uh, back on the other side of the Jordan. Now, here's what I'm thinking as I'm working through this. That Jesus is really bringing to bear, in my view, some essential, critical truths as he ends this, uh, this conversation. Or ends this conflict. You know, have you ever been in an argument with somebody? You're kind of saving your best point for what? <laughs> Last, kind of your summation. You know, if you're a lawyer, you're doing your final summary, you'll be going, uh, 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 you know, you, you want to come with, with the, the greatest and the most important thing you have. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. When I'm looking at this now, when it ta- here's a word I'm thinking of. This probably came to you too whenever you uh, saw this text reductionism. I'm sure that's what you thought, wasn't it? First word that came to your mind. Oh, that's about reductionism. This shepherd that Jesus has claimed to be from all the way to chapter 8 is pretty controversial. And what I see him doing here is dealing with an issue I'm going to call reductionism. Now, you know what? Reductionism is this. I, 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 this idea here. You know, uh, reductionism is that if we spend a lot of time on our wedding, we're going to have a great marriage, right? Not so much. That's reduction. That's kind of reducing the matter of life and marriage to just a ceremony. Um, I've known people, and I've been one of them in some some regard, that I thought that because I ran and exercised, I could eat anything. It's not true. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a reductionism in health. You know, you, you think, well, because I exercise, my dad always made great uh, a mileage, if you will, of Jim Fix who wrote the book on running uh, who died of a heart attack at 46. My dad, while he's eating biscuits and gravy, said, see, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, what do you say? I mean, my argument was, well, you know, he would have died earlier. Uh, well, we don't. But that's that kind of reductionism that, that we tend to if we're not careful. Again, I, I've known people that thought they could just take vitamins and never go to the doctor and you know and and they would be healthy that's kind of reducing these matters to to almost a, a, a ridiculous level i was thinking this i to be a gentleman i thought i'm going to reduce it to this that i'm buying becky a new lawnmower for the spring you know <laughs> i'm a gentleman right isn't that being a gentleman <laughs> i got a couple of you looking at me like It is a nice mower. But, you know, you don't reduce being a gentleman like that just because you buy your wife good lawn equipment. (laughs) Although she has the best. You know, we do this. We do this in life. I, I grew up in a tradition that in some sense or another that if you prayed a prayer at an altar, you're done. In fact, we would get up later and think, well, why do I still have problems? (laughs) Because you're still breathing. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's kind of a reduction, isn't there? I I had the idea that that asking Jesus into my heart or becoming a, a follower of Jesus, that suddenly now everything would be fine. I wouldn't be loud and I wouldn't be aggressive. And I would be like this old brother I had in the church who was quiet and holy. And I tried that doesn't work. (laughs) You know, but we reduce something so phenomenal and wonderful and incredible like following Jesus to just some little thing. I want to suggest to you there's some of that going on here. When Jesus makes this statement, my sheep hear my voice, they know me, they follow me, and I give them eternal life. Now here's what I want to look at here in this first reduction. A shepherd who offers life... Not simply lists when I became a follower of Jesus, it was fun, fascinating to me that how much that God loved me before I became a follower of Jesus, then how many things I had to start doing because I was a follower of Jesus they don 't tell you that on the front end it 's kind of like a you know the car deal you know i'm paying for what uh, you know no no offense to car salesmen. I'm just, uh, but, but the idea of, of Jesus offering life, and what we try to do sometimes is offer people, to, well, just start doing this. Well, just start reading your Bible. Why? We'll start praying. Well, why? Instead of this understanding that Jesus, look he says, I give them life. Now, I, I said to you, I kind of left a teaser uh, there uh, two weeks ago when we left. When it says here, eternal life. When I read that as a kid and in my church, I just thought that meant now I would live forever in heaven. Anybody with me? Did you ever go to that church? Yeah, you went to that one too. And there were some other things. But uh, the, the idea of eternal life. And as I began to study the Bible and realize, uh, you know, I, I don't think I understood that eternal life was something that Jesus gave me, I didn't have, and was more than living forever. And I want to say this to you. If, if eternal life is living forever, then everybody's got it. Isn't everybody going to live somewhere forever? Yeah, I mean, if eternal life is just living forever, then everybody's got it. And so when I read this and others talked to me about it, they just said, well, you know, you're going to live forever. Now they would say in heaven. And I began to look at this and think, wait a minute. Jesus is not just offering eternal life in terms of its length. Because everybody's got that. This has to be something else. This has to be something different. It can't be simply existence. Or again, I'm just going to suggest to you that everybody's got it. It's fascinating to me that the Bible calls hell in the book of Revelation the second death. The second separation. It calls it the second death. Not the first one, the second. See, if, if eternal life is just quantity, then we've all got it. However, I want to suggest to you that what Jesus is using, and and uses a word here that's fairly important, when he uses the word that means it's a quality of life. A quality, a kind of life. I tell my students, I say, hey, if you could have five Domino's pizzas, or you could have one pizza uno, Flundering from Chicago, which would you want? Of course, they always goof me up and say, the five you know, I say that's because your palate isn't very developed yet. You're still eating, i tell you, those ramen noodles burn their taste buds out. They're just gone. Because that's the college person's diet, cereal and ramen noodles. And I say, well, you know, surely you would want the pizza uno because it's a pizza, but it's a different kind of one. It's called quality, <laughs> right? Jesus uses a term here in this passage, zoe. And I give to them eternal life. There's another word in Greek that is used for life. It's called bios. We get the word biology from it. It's physical life. It's, it's, it's a natural life. Trees have it. Cats, well, not many cats have it. Uh, dogs have it. it. Dogs have it. Uh, uh, you know, uh, plants have it. This is what we consider to be physical life. Jesus doesn't use this word. He doesn't use this term. He uses zoe. He, he uses the term that means there's a kind of life that I come to give you. He said, I give to, right now it's in the present tense, I give eternal life to them now. I've told you my own testimony. Some of you have heard it, but you know I'm not going to go into it long. But, but I told you that I came to a startling realization some many years ago when I sort of just asked this question, is there anybody in here but me? Is there anybody in here but me? Jesus said, I give to them eternal life. This kind of life that comes only from God, this this zoe kind of life that only comes from God. I, I, I read this quote uh, some, some years ago by a, a person that I have a lot, a guy named Jeff Van Vonderen. If you haven't read his book, Tired of Trying to Measure Up, you ought to. Tired of Trying to Measure Up. Eric, take that one down. That's the one I'm recommending. <laughs> Tired of trying to, me- not for Eric, for a group. Would you all leave us? A- We're going to talk here for a second. Excuse me, for the group. Yeah, We're going to talk for a minute. Y'all just- Van Vonderen made this statement. Because Jesus said, I give to them. Life. It must mean, in our East Texas vernacular, that we don't got it. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I came that you might have life. It doesn't mean I came to make life better. It doesn't mean I came to make life more meaningful. It means I came to bring you something you don't have. See, See, I've said this, Van Vonderen made this statement when I read it, and He said, A Christian is not a person who gives their life to God. A Christian is a person who gets their life from God. Think about that. A Christian is not a person who gives their life to God. A Christian is a person who gets or receives their life from God. You know, the Bible is pretty clear about that. Jesus said, I give them. Why is that? Go read Ephesians 2 later when it says that when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. You know what? I was a pretty lively sinner. (laughs) I didn't think I was dead. It didn't feel like it to me. But see, death is always the separation in relationship. Death is the separation in relationship. That's why the Bible calls hell the second death. You're separated from God forever. That's why the father in Luke 15, when his son came back, he didn't say this son of mine who was crazy and left the family. He said, this son of mine who was dead. That's what he says. You go read it, Luke 15. This son of mine who was dead. What does it mean? He was still breathing, spending his dad's money. Separation in relationship. You see, eternal life is when we... Get back in relationship with God. And He is the source of life in us. Not a list. Not, not a thing, a bunch of things to start doing to try to work life from the outside in. But an understanding of the life from the inside out. This to me, this is a, a thought or an idea that I just keep grinding on. Because Leonard Ravenhill made this observation years ago when he said that Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Let that soak in a little bit. The problem with people is not they're bad. Or the problem with me or you, if if we're out of fellowship or relationship with God, is not that we're bad, it's we're dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. Does that make sense? Yes. Hmm. Meaning the congreg- those that don't seek understanding, they're separated from the knowledge of God. I-, I just want to drive this home as hard as I can to say this because it-, it becomes, in my judgment, an understanding that Jesus doesn't come just to give us things or doesn't come so we'll live forever. He really comes to give us a quality of life that can only be understood as eternal in that it's life and John Wesley's favorite definition was it this way, that this is the thing that rattled me. When he said, what is it to be a Christian? He said, it's the life of God in the soul of man. That's, that, that's what being saved is, or being a follower of Jesus. It's the life of God in the soul of man. Now, some of us would say, well, you know, doesn't everybody have that? Not according to Scripture. That people are separated from God. By their own, if you will, actions and matters, but it's hard to get sometimes because we just think of eternal life as length. It's, it's long. It's forever. You'll live forever. I was speaking about this one day in in class, and a student was. We were discussing this back and forth, and and the notion of God bringing to give us His life. And this this young man said he's about nineteen years old, really sharp guy, never speaks up in class. I, I was kind of stunned when he did. He said this, Cliff. All I ever hear about at church is how to be prepared for the next life, for heaven, like that. Why don't we talk about now? I says good question. But if really eternal life is all about the sweet by and by the pie in the sky, you know, then we're not that interested now. I can tell you in my own life that this understanding of God's living his life and divine indwelling in me changed me. Look here, there's some verses I put down on there just for your reading purposes if you want to later. That the Bible says that when a person comes to Jesus, it's so radical that the only way to explain it is born. Now, now we translate anothen again. But, but in lots of places this word born again, the, the word anothen means born from above. Born from another source. In other words, following Jesus of being saved is that we're not just born again, although it's legitimate to say it that way. That's what shook Nicodemus up. But the idea of being born from above, from a higher place. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 sometimes. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? New creation. New creation. God is doing something in the earth. That word there, katesis, is sometimes translated creature, but it most likely is translated creation. If it wasn't Christ, He is new creation. There's something different now. Uh, uh, Jesus, uh, or Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but who? Christ who lives in me. We don't hear a lot of this at times. You know, I thought about, why don't you teach this the Sunday after Easter? And I wanted to get to, to, to Lazarus, because yesterday was Lazarus Saturday in the Linton calendar. Becky's keeping me up to date. Yeah, in between her chores. (laughs) Listen, I'm I'm just too old to settle for lists. I need life. I'm too old to think that it's just a bunch of lists and things to do. Instead of being invaded by the presence of a God who wants to inhabit. I I said to these guys one time, do you know Christianity is the only religion I know of, major one, that says God is going to come live in you. Judaism doesn't say that. Islam doesn't say that. Hinduism doesn't say that. No major religion that I know of asserts that God will come and live in you. That's life. This isn't just something God gives. This is something God is. Life. To bring people to the point of understanding. There's life here. There's life. I don't, I don't look outside or, or try to figure this out. I just am learning how can I live in the flow of the life that Jesus offers me. I'm not saying there isn't, aren't struggles. I'm not saying there aren't difficulties in life. But I, I tell you, a lot of times I think we talk about things as if it was all up to us. As if it was all up to me. If it was all up to my effort and attention. Instead of saying, it's life that Jesus brings. And you can look at those verses to live in Him. Note that Jesus said, I, I give them this life. Now, let me finish with one more thought here. I've told you this probably before, but one of the great... Uh, Speakers and leaders that I've followed and has kind of discipled me from a distance is Dallas Willard. He died last year. I highly recommend the book that he wrote uh, called The Spirit of the Disciplines. The Spirit of... Willard has a chapter in there. It says, Salvation is life. This is what wrecked me. That one chapter wrecked me. He said, Salvation is life. Not lists. Not I'm starting to do this and do this and do this and do this. But life. Many years ago, before Willard, he got sick a couple, but but several years ago, Dallas Willard was commenting to John Ortberg and some others about this idea about death that we would all face, that we'll all see. And Willard makes this terribly disturbing comment to me. It's terribly disturbing. Willard said to Ortberg, as they're discussing this about his life, and again, he wasn't sick, this was probably 10, 12 years ago, when he said this, he said, John the life of Jesus is available to us now. The life of Jesus. That's why he said, I came that you might have life. The life of Jesus is available to us if we'll just open our lives. He said this, I wonder, and he's not trying to be arrogant here. He said, I wonder that when I die, if it'll take me a couple of days to figure out I'm dead. Can you imagine living like that? living in that kind of flow of the life of Jesus, that two days later, hey, I think I'm dead. Why? Because Becky's eating chicken and going out on a date. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I'll know. I'm going to be watching. (laughs) Terrible. Terrible. I just, and I'm not saying this as articulately as it could be. There are others that could say it better than me. But I want to challenge you to get your mind and thinking to the notion that Jesus, as our great shepherd, comes to give you life, not a list. Not a list. Not just, now you've got to start doing this. Now you've got to start acting this way. Now you got to start doing this. Don't settle. Don't allow your life to get hung up in the religiosity and the reductionism of religion that allows you to think, well, you know, I'm going to church now and I'm paying my tithe and I'm doing some things and I'm just trying to do the best I know how to do. That's okay. But listen, there's got to be life. Is there in me? You know, I was struggling with a couple things the last couple of days and I, instead of just trying to fight it, I said, Jesus, I need your life to work in me. I need your life to be working in me. I need to get out of the way here. There's much more to that. There's much more to the Christian life than Cliff trying to struggle and just do the things he can. Now, here's what I want you to do. You can look at those verses later. But here's... I have this on my PowerPoint slide and I don't know why it's not here. There it is. is. I want you to ask this. What if... It's on your handout. What if you took two passages of Scripture given in this section? Just two. About salvation as life... And memorized it. And allowed your mind and thinking and heart to get twisted into this idea of saying, look, living for Jesus, following Him, is not trying harder. It isn't working at it. It's experiencing this flow of life that comes through Jesus and Him alone. You know, I was trained years ago, I told you, in Evangelical Explosion, Marty and I had this conversation. You know, we used to ask people, if you were to die tonight, you know you'd go to heaven. That, that's kind of the idea that eternal life's just going to heaven. Marty and I were talking one time and I said, Marty, what if we ask people this? Here's the question. What if you wake up tomorrow? What if, let's say you wake up tomorrow. Do you have the assurance that the life of Jesus Christ is living and flowing through you? Maybe that's the question we ought to ask. Not if you're to die or you're going to heaven, you know. 'Cause I mean I've met people that think they are, and I'm I will not say that. <laughs> These are relatives. But, uh, <laughs> who thankfully oh no no, okay, stop it. See how we've gone to Qu- question isn't if you die. You know what? Heaven isn't a destination. It's a result of living. Wh- what if we said to ourselves, what if I wake up tomorrow? What if I wake up tomorrow? Hope you do. <laughs> Do, do I have the life of Jesus living in me? Now, I'll, fi- I'll finish with I've just got too much to talk about because I've been off two weeks. But I want to remind you of how this operates. It doesn't operate by trying or twisting or working. It operates by opening yourself up to the power that Jesus wants you to have. I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it again. It's your inadequacy that creates your capacity for God to work in your life. It's your inadequacy that creates your capacity. It's, 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 it's not that you're bad. It's you're in me. We're in the way. It's not that you're bad. You're in the way. And not in a good way. You're in the way. I'm in the way. I'm learning in the day to pause. To say, now, Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit, do what needs to be done in and through me for this not trying, not not struggling, not straining but it's your inadequacy that creates your capacity for Jesus to work in your life. You've got to go second one here the shepherd offers security not safety. This is fascinating me and we're going to hurry. I'm going to finish because we got to we're not coming to church not Sunday school. We're coming to church. Jesus then says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who is given to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch my Father. I want you to notice that Jesus right here is is, is declaring divinity. He's got these people in His hand, and who else does? His Father. He's saying, they're in my hand, and they're my Father. He is declaring His divinity here. My Father and I got these people in our hands, and nobody's going to snatch them. Now, this passage has had a long history of discussion as to whether it teaches what some call eternal security or whether it teaches that if you sign the card and pray the prayer, you're going no matter what. You know There are all kinds of things. But let me ask you to consider this, something here. That what Jesus is saying is there's some security here for you as a believer, but not safety. I, I, here's how I want to unpack that is this. It seems to me that the context of 8, 9, and 10 is suggesting that no one, none of these religious leaders have the power to put you out. And remember, back when this whole thing started, the problem was that if you declared who Jesus was, you would be kicked out of the temple. You'd be excommunicated. These religious leaders had that kind of authority. They could put you out. And if you're outside of the family of faith, if you're outside of Judaism, you're done. What Jesus, I think, is declaring here, listen, I give them eternal life, they're in my hand, and no religious rigmarole or organization can touch you. Now, think about it. Think about the life of these disciples. Did they run into conflict with religious leaders? All of them were killed except one. All of them were destroyed, but one. Jesus here is declaring, look, you're securing me, but you may not be safe. You may have opposition. You may have circumstances and situations where people get twisted off with you and decide you're not as good or you're not part of the group. We have a long history of religious leaders hurting people, don't we? We have a long list at times. I was reading about Pope Innocent III. He wasn't that innocent. You know? And some of the things done to people. And we have this terrible tendency... That we get religious leaders, or even Bible college—I'm going to put myself in that group. I'm a company guy, Bible college professors—to where they think they can declare and announce and say where you are. You ever had people do that? You know, I've had religious say, "Well, you know, Cliff, I'm a little concerned about you." And I would say, "Well, you should be." <laughs> well, it's their job, right? Well, you know, you might not be where you need to be. Listen, uh, that—that's a—that's a little hard to handle from people, isn't it? They don't know your heart. They don't know what you're doing. Jesus here is saying there is no religious group and no religious leader that can take you away from me. Isn't that good to know? There's no system. There's no group. There's no teacher. There's no pastor. There's no religious leader that can snatch you out of His hand. And that's exactly what's happening here in John 8, 9, and 10. The fear of being thrown out. The fear of being excommunicated. This idea that Jesus here is saying you're secure. You may not be safe. You, you may get in conflict with people. I know nobody in here would ever do that. You know, you, you may have conflict with religious leaders. You may have conflict at times with people. You know, I I, I, I I've, I've myself actually. I know it's hard to believe, but I've been in conflict with people a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, but but the point here Jesus seems to be making is you're secure. Don't worry. I'm the one who gives you this life. Nobody can take it away from you. Nobody can say you're not quite meeting up to the standard. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yep. Yeah. Same same tendency to exclude to say well you're not one of us or you're not part of that or i've got some new revelation you know i've had guys come to me and say cliff i got some new revelation here and you need it and i say well i'll listen to you but you're not going to you're not going to spiritually abuse me to say that if i don't agree with you i don't have the truth okay we're not that i can i kind of talk back to people you know <laughs> you know that that this idea and, and this is one of the one of the difficulties. You know, John Wesley said that the greatest tragedy... And listen, let me back up say this. I love the church because the Bible says in Ephesians 5 that Jesus loved the church gave Himself for her. Okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to bash the church here. What I'm trying to say is this pernicious tendency that if we're not careful, that we start drawing lines on people. And start saying, you can't be with us or you're... in. Inter- John Wesley said the greatest tragedy in church history was when Constantine became a Christian. Greatest tragedy ever. You think, wow, that was- they quit getting killed and thrown into the lion's den and-, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because what happened was, people began to put trust in authorities and leaders instead of Jesus. And it can happen. The church of God, which we're a part, this past year, our new general director, we're going to have our convention here in June again when he said this to our whole group he said Jesus is the focus not our doctrine not our tradition not our understanding not our group not our buildings Jesus he is the focus of that well I, I think it's a it's a pernicious tendency that that we understand that Jesus is is the one that we keep looking to. He's the one that makes us safe. Let me go on here now. Third, the shepherd offers understanding of the text and not just tradition. It's similar to that. Look what it says. Jesus said, to the, or the Jews picked up stones, the stone, and Jesus said, I showed you good works. What are you stoning me for? And they said, not because of that, but because you said you were the Son of God. Now, watch what look what Jesus does. You know, he, can, he knows the Scripture pretty well. You know, that's part of the problem. He says, has it not been written? Or in Greek, it's gegreptide. It is. Is written. That's what the rabbi said when they got ready to nail you with a purse. You know. Here we go. It is written. Is it not written in your law that said you are God's? Now this is coming out of Psalm eighty-two six. Psalm eighty-two six. That that Jesus is saying. Wait a minute. Wait. Hold it. Your your law. Your text says this. I wish I had time to unpack all of this. But here's the notion that the tradition of these people that they've allowed to accumulate over time, they're no longer reading the Scriptures. you think that ever happens to people? You know, I, I I tell Becky all the time, I'm very concerned that when I teach that I keep pointing people back to the text. You know, I mean, I, I can talk. I don't know if you notice that or not. I can talk. And I'm an extrovert. And I can get going in all kinds of different directions. But I keep saying to her, back. am I going back to the text because listen my opinions don't make a hill of beans my opinions don't matter it what does the text say what does the bible say about it now we can disagree you know you're right you have the right to be wrong you know <laughs> right you disagree you can be wrong we can disagree on interpret. We can, do- but listen. Our commitment, like Jesus here, is to the text, not our tradition. I remember when I went to college. One of the fascinating things was I found out that some of the traditions is that I had been told. One of the things that I thought was scripture was God's going to get you if you do anything wrong. I tested that one. <laughs> and you know what? God didn't get me. Obviously. <laughs> Or you know uh, some of these other religious traditions that we have. What what about Jesus here to say? Look, it's text, if you will, or scripture over tradition. And there's some wonderful traditions I love and I celebrate and I enjoy. But I keep asking myself, Cliff, are you going back to the text? What is you? Now again, we can disagree over what it means. But I think this is why this is so critical. That Jesus and, and he's just nailing them. You know, this is also this idea, and, and I don't want to go too far sideways, but when he says, they're gods, if he then called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scriptures cannot be broken. Look at verse 35. He's saying, look, I'm taking you back to the text. Do you say then, of whom the Father sanctified and sent the world? You're blaspheming because I'm a son of God. I'm the son of God. This is fascinating to me. Because their tradition won't allow them to hear the text. It won't allow it. I've had that happen to me before. In fact, I feel that in me sometimes. When I'm reading the passage and it doesn't line up with my theological commitments, then I say, well, it could mean several things. That's why theologians still have a job. You know, I feel that in me, don't you? That my tradition is sometimes more important than the text to say, what? Does the text say here? How in, how can I understand this to mean this? For instance, I'll give you an example. In, in Psalm 8, you can go back to look at it later. And I've had people fight me over this, and, and you know I'll still discuss it and, and exactly. but listen. When, when, when David says, When I look at the stars and the heavens and all this incredible thing, what is man that you're mindful of him? Yet You have made Him a little lower than, that's what it says, Elohim. Elohim, it's a derivative. Now, sometimes it can be, but there is some suggestion to say you've made Him a little lower than God. A little lower than God. This is somewhat what Jesus is referring to. Human beings possess this incredible dignity that God just made us just a little bit lower than God. Man, I, I've talked to, they, oh, that can't be true. Why? Because p- human beings are trash and garbage. Wait a minute. That's your tradition talking. What does the Scripture say? I love this other one. I, you know, I grew up on King James like all good Christians. and uh, <laughs> I'm going to let you out, I promise. I, I, I promise I'll let you out here, a minute. I I grew up and I I remember when I started taking Greek and I said to my dad and others, hey, wait a minute. There's this passage in James that says, let us confess our faults one to another. I could do that. You know, I'm very impatient. and You know, uh, I don't like to mow the yard. That word is sin. Did you know that? Therefore, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. It's not fault. By any stretch of the imagination. It's sin. It's hamartia. It's translated every other place in the New Testament. Sin. Now that's different than fault. I don't mind talking about my fault, but I don't talk to you about any sin. That's a tradition. It's just a tradition that we've accumulated over time. So I'm to ask you this question. I'll finish. Here's the question. Would you this week at least consider are there some traditions that you're living out of on a fairly regular basis, try to find the text. Try to find the text that speaks to it. Just see if you can. See, see, see if you can find it. Now, the last thing here is this. The shepherd offers works, not just words. Look here. He said... Uh, if I if I don't do the works of the father don't they don't believe me but if I do them though you don't believe in me believe the works that I do that's, that's that section of 3738. You know I think Jesus is making a big point here that that if we're not careful that our words can outrun our works. Can't they? I mean we already know more than we're doing right? We're, said, we're all educated above our obedience level. Anybody with me? We're all educated above our obedience. My, my education's up here and my obedience is right about here. Right? Jesus is saying, look, if you don't believe me because of what I say, if the words don't make it, look at the works that I do. You can't look at what he did and say, this guy's crazy. This guy can't. This guy had the people, again, in John 9, he has to be from God. I wonder in this idea, if, if we've reduced Christian living to words... I mean, I know the five different words for love. Does that mean I can love people any better? Just because I know that? Eros, Sturgia, you know, agape, uh, you know, uh, 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 phileo. Oh, boy. Woo! I could... No. Those are just words. What about works? I, I was so... I mean, I, I'm i just thrilled. I mean, Matt Ryder and some of the guys over here, you know, back in Moore, I know yesterday they were down there... Um, uh, helping people with cleanup, you know, and all that kind of stuff, and I and I looked at a picture of they were helping people in the more tornado. And I thought, man, here is love incarnate, living it out. Now Matt's not asking about; that. he's mad at me now, so he'll get me later. But, but that's it, isn't it? It's easier to talk about loving people and more than going and getting a chainsaw and starting cutting trees up in it? it. It's easier to. And Jesus saying, "Look, if you don't believe me because of my words, look, Mark. I wonder about this. Would people be more likely to believe us?" if they saw our works. John Wesley had a famous statement here. You'll see it here at the back. Um, when Wesley would get together with people in small groups, he would not say, how are you doing? See, that means how's your emotional life? How are you, how are you getting along? What's happening? He was this how is your doing? How is your doing? In other words, has this stuff all degenerated to words or are there actions? Are there results of that in our lives? I think that's an important question. And I think that's what Jesus is hitting these Pharisees about. Man, if anybody knows words, they know them. If anybody understands truth, they know them. You know, I, when, I have a story like this. I, I remember one time I had a couple over at our home. And uh, I was counseling with them. They were college kids getting ready to get married. And, you know, I was just astounding them with truth. But just before that, Becky and I had gotten in a little, a little bit of an argument. It wasn't her, it was me. It was me. It always is. Uh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, so, anyway. Stop it. Here we go. Okay. So we had an argument. And I really got upset. I mean, really upset. Like, I don't want to talk to you. Well she knows when I say that. whoo, things are bad. When I don't want to talk, because I don't want to talk to you. So she's in the house and there uh, she's in the back room and I'm in the front I'm on fire as a counselor I mean I'm tearing it up I'm talking about the relationship this thing and I start talking about mutual submission I'm telling you every word that came out of my mouth was scalding me <laughs> talk about being submissive to one another Loving one another, deferring to, oh, it was, but man, I, I thought I am not gonna give into this. <laughs> I am a professional. And I just kept talking and talking, and, and it was beautiful, except it wasn't the truth. <laughs> when those people left, I said, Becky, do you need to say something to me? <laughs> no, I needed to say something to her and say, you know what? I can talk sometimes better than I can walk. Jesus is saying this. Believe me. Forget what I said. Look at what I did. Look at how I lived. It seems to me that would be good counsel for us to say, how can we live a life where it isn't just words, it's works. How is your doing? Now, there's an article here if you want to read it. How is your doing? It's Wesley's work in that area. It would be fascinating for you to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, as we celebrate this day of your coming into Jerusalem, you had had a lot of conversations with a lot of leaders, and now you've come down to the work of giving your life. We pray that uh, as we've looked into this passage and finished up this real huge conflict, That we'll take these words to heart and apply them in our own lives. That as we enter into this holy of weeks, that we might allow You to bring us life. The resurrected life of Jesus Christ pulsating, living in every one of us. That we would enjoy and understand the truth of Your life in us. We pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. See, in two weeks now,